I can't stand up alone. I need a touch from on high. We had a, no offense tonight, very good friend of mine, but a Nazarene minister came to my revival in Alexandria, Louisiana a few months ago. He came there in just one message about Jesus Christ. The importance of being baptized in that name. He was ready to be baptized in that name. He got baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. He stood behind the sacred desk and testified. Big old tears streaming down his face. He pastors a church with over a hundred members in it. He stood there and testified and was proclaiming to the people how wonderful it was to be in a church where he could feel the Holy Ghost moving. Amen. Hey, God, he's got the Holy Ghost tonight. But I walked to him right after church. I never shall forget this long as I live. I said, brother, how is it that you've managed to preach in a church that doesn't have the Holy Ghost? Big old tears streamed down his face and dripped off on the floor. He said, I wonder myself. He said, it's been a hard thing. Well, I said, I'll tell you right quick. There's no preach here without the Holy Ghost. I hadn't got it. You take God away from me and there's not anything left here. I gotta have the Holy Ghost. I can't stand up alone. Takes a touch from on high. Worship God tonight. One of these days, I'm gonna take a vacation. My quiet and a peaceful shore. I'm gonna cool my feet in, in that crystal water. And I won't have to worry anymore Where well, my burdens are getting so heavy That I can't stand up alone But I'll lay my head on the Lord's strong shoulder Cause I can't stand up alone Oh well I can't stand up all by myself I can't stand up alone I need a touch of the mighty hand can't stand up alone That voice came down like thunder And a light around me shone Said, child, get up and take a hold of my hand Cause you don't have to stand alone I said, I can't stand up all by myself I can't stand up alone I need a touch of the mighty hand Stand up alone Well, troubles, I've seen trouble They're all around my door Now go on and leave me, old man, trouble Cause I don't want trouble anymore I said I can't stand up all by myself I can't stand up alone I need a touch of the mighty hand I need a touch of the mighty hand. I 
message don't fit the world tonight they don't like that message the apostle paul said if in this life only i had hope he didn't say get it he didn't say that he didn't have hope he said if in this life only i had hope i'd be of all men most miserable but he said i got a hope on the other side thank god hallelujah you gotta walk that road that long, lonesome road, it's appointed unto every man once to die. After that comes the judgment. But tonight, when you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you've been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, you've already been judged. You're judged daily, and when the rapture takes place, you'll go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Hallelujah! Are you glad you got the Holy Ghost tonight? Men have no alternative in being born. They're born one time and they can't help themselves. Men that are born one time, they die twice. You have an alternative there. You can be born twice. When you get born the second time, you just die once. You have no part in the second death. Are you glad you've been born again? Thank God, thank God. You gotta walk that road. That long, lonesome road. You gotta walk that road. That lonesome way. You gotta take that trip. Down a long, long trail. Better hold a hand. That'll never fail. Yeah, you better walk that road. That long, lonesome road.
in good shape with Jesus Christ. That's one of the greatest things God ever did for me was to relieve me of that fear and dread of death. How many in this building had God to do that for you? Lift that other hand and praise him. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank God, thank God. We love you, Jesus Christ. Praise his name. Praise his name. I want my wife to come to the organ tonight. We'll sing a chorus together, and then I'm going to preach to you. I feel like that I have a most important message from God's word tonight, and I need the unction. I need the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Well, I preach to you tonight. Asking the saints of God to share that responsibility with me tonight. I don't know whether it occurs to you as often as it should or not, but we are reaching for our lost people our last times. We are reaching the consummation of this age. We may be having the last revival Bogalusa will ever have. It's just about time for Jesus Christ to come back. Somebody's about to go to heaven. Somebody's going to be left. I'm praying that God Almighty will touch every heart in this building tonight that's lost and undone. Thank God that their eyes will be open and they'll be filled with the Holy Ghost. Thank God. Hallelujah. I want us to sing that old chorus tonight. Not as a song. I'm no singer. I can't sing. I don't even claim to be a singer. We're not singing as a song. I want us to sing it as a prayer. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Do you feel your need of Jesus Christ? Hallelujah. I want you to lift up your voice and sing that together with me tonight. I need thee, oh, I need thee. You have in your life needed Jesus Christ. You need him right now. We're living in a very dark hour. We're living in an hour when many men have given up all hope. 
They're letting their ship dry on the high seas of life. Tonight I'm anchored in Jesus. Thank God. Are you anchored in Jesus Christ? Thank God. Let's sing it together tonight. I need peace. children. Give them that spirit without measure that we need in this dark, treacherous hour. Help us, Lord, to stand steadfast on that rock, that rock of the ages, even Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Then, Father, we ask that you'd move upon the hearts of the lost. Move upon the unconverted of this congregation. Help them to realize, oh God, that this is their chance. Maybe even their last chance. My God, we appreciate what you're letting us feel right now. Yes, amen. Yes, amen. I pray, oh God, that you'd let the Holy Spirit anoint every word that's spoken tonight. Let it go forth just like you want it to. Hallelujah. Commend ourselves into your hands. God's granted. God's granted. Have your divine way tonight. In the name of Jesus Christ, not only do we pray, but we believe it. Thank God. Thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. I was to preach tonight on the subject that I really wanted to preach on. I'd be preaching on the soon coming of Jesus Christ. If I ever tried to bargain with God, I did this evening. I almost got out of line. I got to thinking about heaven and I said, Lord, let me preach on the second coming. But that's not the message that's in my heart tonight. I just wonder who's in this congregation. I'm wondering who this message is for. But I've got enough faith and confidence in my Heavenly Father that I know they're here right now. Somebody's fixing to get their message. This has weighed heavily on my heart for the past two hours. Seeking God carefully, this is it. I'm reading several scriptures. I would rather that you would listen readily than trying to follow me. Maybe you can mark them down and read them later. I want your careful attention tonight. First of all, I'm reading from Hebrews 10, verses 26, and part of verse 29 thereunto. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries, Listen very carefully to this. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the spirit of grace. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Amen. Now to complete my scripture reading tonight, I come from the book of Job. Book of Job, the second chapter, verses 4, 5, and 6. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth 
thy hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, to me this is one of the saddest words in the whole Bible. Behold, he is in thy hands, but save his life. Behold, he is in thy hands, but save his life. Save his life. Turning you back to Hebrews, it said there that those that rejected or despised the law of Moses suffered punishment of death without mercy. And then this writer, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he said, How much sore punishment shall that one suffer that has trodden underfoot the Son of God? Amen. That is not law rejectors, but rejectors of grace. Yes, that's it. Rejectors of grace. I want to preach tonight from this subject. What could be worse than dying without mercy? What is it that could be worse than dying without mercy? What is it? What is it? You may disagree with me tonight, speaking from a physical standpoint, not a spiritual standpoint, just a fleshly standpoint. Follow me closely and you'll ever worked. Speaking from a fleshly or a human standpoint, not considering the spirit, I have always said that for me, the death penalty or capital punishment would be preferable over life imprisonment. God saved me from solitary confinement. I don't care if the room is just as big as this pulpit or if it's three rooms. God saved me from solitary confinement. I don't like to be shut up in a dark room by myself. I don't like that. And I have made the statement that the life sentence for some men would be more horrible than the death penalty. Right. For some men that have committed awful and horrible crimes, Speaking from a natural standpoint, I've made the statement that for them just to enter the gas chamber or the electric chair would be too light a punishment. The way that they invoked punishment upon those 
that were their captives, upon those that they murdered. And it seems that in like circumstances, if I were guilty of a crime that was about to bring a death penalty to me or life imprisonment, I would rather die. Don't make me live like that. If you've ever studied the history on those men, they don't live too long. Most of them don't. They don't get any sunshine. In solitary confinement, they don't live long. The most horrible thing in the world. You remember this if you never remember another thing I've ever preached to you. The most horrible punishment that you can place upon a human being is to make him live when he wants to die. That's it. Those that rejected the law of Moses, God Almighty speaking through the writer of the Hebrews, he said they suffered punishment of death without mercy. Death is just not a very pleasant thought to most people. Kind of gets a hold of me. I don't like to be around when men and women are dying. It's just a sad feeling that grips the atmosphere. You can feel the presence of death. Death is a reality. And there is supernatural unseen powers that are available at the scene of death. You can actually feel death. That's right. You feel it. It's real. Amen. If I had a preference, I'd rather not be present when men die. But on numerous occasions, I have been present. Beyond my control and even when it was my duty, I've been present. I've been there when the saved was dying, and I've been there when the rejecter was dying. Yeah. I know what it's all about. I've That's been right. there. But there's one thing that I've never witnessed, and I hope I never witness. That is to watch one of my brother human beings. We are all brothers. We are created. That is to watch a human being die without mercy. I've read about it. Yeah. I've heard about it, and that's almost more than I can endure. I don't like that. It does something to me. It seems like it's bad enough for a man to die when his mom is standing right there by him to put a cool cloth to his brow. The doctors and the nurses are standing there to take the pain away with their injections and their oral doses of medicine and pain-killing drugs. It's bad enough then, but when you think about a human being dying without mercy, that's a horrible picture to me. That's what happened to those that were rejectors of the law. They died without mercy. I read again about it today, how Achan lost his life. How they carried him and his family right out before all of Israel. And while they stood there together as a family in the valley, they stoned them to death without mercy. 
I read that and I could almost see it in operation. Those little children, his wife that he loves so much, and even old Lincoln, I've always imagined him to be a nice-looking, handsome man, and to watch them stand there without any mercy, and those large stones herald at them, and watch them crumble and bleed to death. Without any mercy, it's a horrible picture. Then as I studied and prayed, I remembered many things that I've come across in my life. I remember just a short time ago, there's some unbelievable crimes that are taking place in this nation tonight. Amen, that's right. Yes. Some hair-raising crimes that you wouldn't even be able to comprehend or believe. That's right. I read just a short time ago, just a few months, how that a young lady, just a child, maybe nine or ten years old, a couple of people got a hold of her, a man and a woman, a demon-possessed couple that was possessed of many devils. They got a hope of this little girl, and the only thing they had in mind was to make this little lady suffer. They wanted to inflict pain upon her. They didn't even know who she was. They just wanted to punish somebody. They got a hold of this little child and carried her to a secluded spot out in a wooded area in some deserted house. And there they began to torture her, ever known way to them. They began to inflict pain and punishment and torture upon this young lady, they would puncture her body with a knife and make her scream and beg and plead for her life. God there they were, torturing her. Sometimes it's hard to understand that unless it could be your own child. Then it'll grip your heart. Amen. After they inflicted all of the punishment upon this young lady, tortured her in every known way that they could come up with, then through divine mercy, God's plan, this little lady died. She died at their hands. I thought a lot of times when I read it, I thought, oh God, if it was my child, that would be the most consolating news that could reach me, that while she was in the hands of devils, she died. I'd be glad to know that she died, that they couldn't punish her anymore. Amen. It would be a consolation to me if somebody told me that she didn't live long, that she died right away. But listen, friend, that is exactly what the sore punishment that Paul was talking about will be. It will be punishment unto death, yet men won't die. Amen. Is there anything worse than death without mercy? Friend, that is what it is. The second death, that's the interpretation of it. That is as near the meaning of it as you can find. It is ever dying, yet never dying. I've seen men die. I've seen them get so low. Their pain so great. 
that you'd absolutely ask God to take them out. But in hell, where men will suffer the punishment of the second death, they'll beg and cry and plead to die, but they'll yet live. That's the sore punishment. That is the punishment that supersedes death without any mercy. That's it. These people tortured that child every way they could. But in God's divine plan, he reached down and lifted her life. You see, speaking about old Job tonight, there's been times that Pentecostal people would shout over that scripture I read out of Job. Said the Lord, said Satan, he's in your hands. But save his life. My God, we get excited. That's so wonderful. The devil's all around him and got his hands on him, but he can't kill him. I've gotten happy about it a few times, but I want you to know one thing. Job never did shout about it. He never did get happy about it. It wasn't any consolation to him. It was all horrible. It was all pain to him. It was agony. Think of being placed into the hands of the hardest, cruelest murder in the world and not even to have the consolation of dying. That's it. That's what hell's all about. Job felt that devil's slicky hands. God told him, said, he's in your hands. He wallered old Job around. He took everything that he had. He took his children. He took his possessions. He took everything that he had and then afflicted him with grievous sores from the crown of his head to the bare soles of his feet. I thought a lot of times old Job under normal conditions Think with me tonight, follow me closely. That man under normal conditions with what he suffered, he couldn't have lived through it. He couldn't have lived. I'm not even talking about his physical punishment. Even just Jesus Christ allowing Satan to take his children and his possessions and his wife to turn against him and every friend that he had, that was enough to take his life. The old devil stood and laughed at him and said, oh boy, you're in my hands. I've got you and you won't die. I can punish you like I want to and you'll let live. I heard something on a radio broadcast some time ago. Got a hold of me. It was almost unbearable to listen to. Something that I just don't even want to believe. But it came over a newscast of the American radio stations. Take it for what it's worth. It said that Fidel Castro just 90 miles from the American coastline, 90 miles below Florida, our state, our beloved state, just 90 miles from this country, 
It said that old Castro, a heartless, ruthless criminal. They said that man got to thinking about killing all of his prisoners and just wasting so much of their blood. Said he got to thinking that over. And he thought, my, that's such a waste. We could sell that blood all over the world. People are crying for human blood. He said it's such a waste to just spill their blood on the ground. With the devil working in his heart, he thought of something that's unbearable to me. He said, I'll drain their blood from them while they yet live. As far as I know, friend, that actually happened. I believe it. I believe it. It said that he brought these prisoners of his out, war prisoners by the dozens, right out into the boiling hot sun, and he would strap them to army cots strap them down and then he'd call his medical men and absolutely extract the blood from their bodies while they lived. It's unbelievable, an inhuman act. Human being can't do that. That's a devil that does that. He's possessed of a devil. That's right. Said that they studied it out and they figured they could draw about seven pints from a man. Seven pints from one man while he yet lived. Said as they would draw that blood out that these men would go into convulsions. They would go into epilepsy. And their fever would shoot to such a high degree until you wouldn't hardly be able to believe it and that their bodies would begin to shake and to quiver under the pain and the agony. Castro standing there like some monster devil, looking down into their miserable, innocent faces while they literally drained the blood from them. But then the newscast said this, and this is the way it worded it. It said even Castro had enough mercy on them that he blew their brains out. Instead of letting them lay there and die in convulsions, he had enough mercy. They would shoot them in the head and take their life while they were having hard convulsions. I thought, my God, that's too horrible to talk about. I debated about whether to even mention that to an audience. That's so horrible. And then I thought it's perfectly in order because that's nothing to what hell will be. In hell, there'll be no mercy and you'll be punished beyond the expectations of life. Yet men will live. For a thousand years, Men will be in a dying condition, yet they'll live, gasping for breath, breathing the flames of hell, thirsty, lips parched, skin parching, in such a horrible state of agony and pain, yet they have no hope of ever dying. No hope. No hope. Live, 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 live. I've read many stories about men that died of thirst 
Some of those Arabs went through that in this past Israeli and Arab war. Many of those Arabs were lost in the desert. I've read many stories concerning them. These men will wander through the hot parching desert. They become more thirsty and more thirsty. Their thirst drives them insane. They get so thirsty that they go crazy. They go wild. They act like an animal. Their thirst becomes so intense that they tell me almost every corpse that you find in the desert, they have completely packed their mouth, their throat, and their esophagus. They packed it with a hot desert sand. They die trying to drink the sand, trying to choke dirt down their mouth. Many of them, they said they find them and their lips are burst. It's burst wide open, yet their mouth are packed with that hot desert sand. But listen, friend, in hell, men will think that they're thirsting to death, but they'll yet live. Right. Their lips will parch. Their tongues will turn wrong side out. Their bodies will be dehydrated. And the pain and agony is beyond description, but they'll never die. They'll live with it. I thought, oh God, what could be worse than dying with, without mercy? But listen, friend, the rejectors of this generation, those that reject this will suffer a sore punishment. And it will be punishment that is unto death, but they won't have the consolation of ever dying. He said, in hell, the fire will never be quenched, and the worm die not. One of my very close friends was working with a paint crew. He said there were several painters in this room. There was much explosive material in that room. While they were yet painting, and accidentally one of these men burst a, an electric light bulb. Maybe a dozen men in there. I can't recollect the number tonight. Maybe a half a dozen men in that room. One of them accidentally burst that light. And just that quick flash of electricity, it ignited that whole room. That whole room burst into flames under pressure, just like putting men into a pressure cooker. Ignited just that suddenly into flames and the room was closed. These men suffered flames of fire for several moments. And then this eyewitness said he saw them walk out of the door of what was left of that room said they came walking out of there and there wasn't a rag on them and said their flesh was completely cooked. He said you'd have to see it to believe it. 
said their eyes were bulged out and just about to run out on their face. They came walking out of there, and he said every step they'd make, that flesh and hide was literally slipping from their bones. He said they came walking out. They looked like they were dead, but they were walking. Here they came, flesh slipping to the floor. He said he stood there and watched it just a moment. He could hardly believe his eyes. Then he said in just a few moments of time, they fell to the floor dead. What mercy. There was ever mercy, that's mercy, to die in such pain and agony. But in hell, friend, you won't die. That's the sore punishment. No wonder Jesus Christ said, in his divine inspired word, he said, if your arm offends you, if it stands in your way, cut it off. If your eye offends you or hinders you in being saved, pluck it out. If your leg offends you or hinders you, sever that leg from your body. It's hell, stay out. It's hell, don't go. What could be worse than dying without mercy? What could be worse? What is it that could be worse than dying without mercy? Listen, friend, in reality, there's no such thing as dying without mercy. In that hour, death itself is mercy. But in hell, I was walking down a dimly lit hospital corridor. Walking down a dimly lit corridor of a hospital. Approximately 1 a.m. Something to me I never have forgotten. I hope I never do. Speaking about one of my cousins that was laying there dying with cancer. She said, do you think that young lady knows that she's dying lost? I said, yes, I don't believe there's a doubt in her mind. I believe she knows she's dying as a sinner. She said then, and this is what I never have forgotten. She said, how long do you suppose it's been since she heard a message anointed with the Holy Ghost? about the lake of fire and the place she's just about to go. I bowed my head, I said, I don't know how long it's been since she's heard about the place she's soon to approach. I made a consecration there and I said, every revival I preach, every audience that sits under my voice, I want to warn them about the place of the damned. That's what the sore punishment is, friend. That punishment that supersedes death without mercy is hell, hell, hell. It's punishment without death. Punishment that is under death, but you won't die. Friend, this service tonight is designed to spare you that punishment. 
If you're born just one time of the natural birth, you'll die twice. The first death, and then you'll suffer the consequences of the second death that I've just preached to you about. Your alternative tonight is that you can be born again of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Not just born of the flesh, but born again of the Spirit. And over those that are born of the Spirit, the second death holds no victory. This is your opportunity. Would you stand with me as a congregation tonight while the saints bow their heads and offer their prayers? In fact, nearly every song we sing is about that. I like to sing about it. Apostle Paul said to talk about it, comfort one another with these words. We're going to sing tonight about on the sunny banks of sweet deliverance. Are you getting ready to go? Hallelujah. Worship God tonight. On the sunny banks of sweet deliverance, happy freedom.
on the sunny bank of sweet deliverance, a happy freedom land, my on the sunny bank of sweet deliverance, happy freedom land, my mortal home, now I'm a-going back to live when life is over on the sunny bank of home sweet home, hallelujah.
a sinner, but I wouldn't be again. I don't know when the journey might end. Anyway, someday the Lord's gonna take me home. I'm gonna lay all of my burdens down. Pick up a brand new robe and crown, and I'll never get tired walking streets of gold. Not in a million Last night over those that came to the altar. But I was greatly disturbed over those that did not come. We ever made a mistake. Sometimes we make a mistake on looking at what we have done, what God has done for us, and settling with that without even looking at what we've missed. That's right. There's many people that walked out of this building last night refused to bow their knee to God. And it was not because God failed to call them. He called them. He called them. Some of those blessed people, they're here tonight. I'm asking God for them again tonight. Thank God. Saints, I want to ask you to Put everything that you have into this. Let your mind be in an attitude of prayer. Throughout the remainder of this service, I'm asking God to shake this very city. Not just this church. We've been going that long enough. We've been sitting within the walls of the church feasting off of the fatted calf long enough. I want to shake the city. I'd like for this to spread throughout the city. Are you ready for it tonight? Thank God, thank God. Hallelujah! Thank God, thank God. Brother Tom Fred Tenney just recently, in fact, it was one Sunday night ago. Not this past Sunday night, but two Sunday nights ago. He had an invitation to preach in Shreveport, Louisiana. He preached at the First Methodist Church. That pastor and the board of directors, they invited Reverend Tom Fred Denny to come preach a message to them on the Holy Ghost. Amen. And they want to hear about it. God's moving. Amen. He preached from the Acts of the Apostles. What meaneth this? What meaneth this? They said that church was completely carried away with a message and the expectation of receiving the Holy Ghost power. Thank God! Hallelujah. Tonight, for my audience, under the direction of the Holy Ghost, I'm preaching a message quite different from that. I'm preaching from the 23rd chapter of Luke. Message that I feel very heavily upon my heart for tonight. I'm praying that by the help of God, the unction of the Holy Ghost, that it will be made to sink into your heart. I want to ask the question before I preach tonight, how many in this audience 
would like to receive the Holy Ghost tonight? Oh, thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Hallelujah! Hallelujah. My God, I don't see how you can help from getting it right now. Bless God, I don't see how you can ward it off. It looks like you just get it and couldn't help it. Thank God. Hallelujah. I challenge you tonight. I challenge you to move that old self-will out of the way and let God have a chance. Oh, hallelujah. Thank God. I never did believe that the revival had to be right here in this altar. Praise God, you can get it at the back door. You can get it on any seat in this church. Praise God. All right. I'm preaching tonight from Luke 23. Very important message from God's word that he's laid upon my heart for tonight. And I believe the ones, or maybe even the one, that it's for is in this audience. Saints, help me tonight. Back me up for your prayers. Luke 23 and 32. In my verses, it said, And there were also two other male factors led with him to be put to death. This is speaking about Calvary. There was two other male factors led with him, talking about Jesus, to be put to death. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the male factors, one on the right and the other on the left, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if, He be the Christ, the chosen of God. Get every word of this. It's very important. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, listen to what they said, if thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And the superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the male factors, this was one of the thieves or robbers, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. And the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, 
seeing thou art in the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today, this day, shalt thou be with me in paradise. I'm preaching tonight from the 34th verse of this same self-chapter, commonly known or referred to as the prayer that Jesus prayed while he was yet hanging on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I want to preach from this subject or thought tonight and bring to your attention the terror of this prayer. The terror of this prayer. This one verse of scripture, not even the whole verse, just the prayer. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I suppose that that portion of Scripture, that statement, has been preached from more than likely more than from any other passage of Scripture in the Bible. It's been used over and over and over again. I've heard it used in messages many times. I've heard it brought out in many different sermons. And on every occasion that I've heard it, save this message that God has laid upon my heart, I have heard it used as an illustration to portray the love and the compassion that Jesus Christ has for the lost. And the sinful men of this dispensation of time. And I'll agree tonight with the church world and with anyone else that it would be a very desperate search and almost impossible to find a verse of scripture that would portray and show the love of Christ any more than that verse of scripture. See, if you get the full picture of it, it is like this. Jesus Christ had already been whipped. He had been spat upon. His beard had been plucked from his cheeks. He had been whipped in the back. History proclaiming until the flesh was parted from the bone. Then in that weakened, tired, run-down condition, even having prayed all night long in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
He walked or began that walk up Calvary's hill with that cross upon his shoulder. He walked with that load until some have proclaimed that he fell. I never did feel like he did. I don't believe Jesus Christ ever failed. I never did much believe Jesus fell underneath the load. I found one commentator that enlightened me in a measure that I believe more than anything I've ever heard. It said these men that took his load and placed it on Simon, they knew more about what he had been through than anybody. And what they were fearful of, that since he'd been up all night, and since his heart had been broken until his perspiration had turned to blood, since he'd been whipped until the blood streamed down his back, since a crown of thorns had been beaten into his head, they were fearful themselves that he'd die before they got to crucify him. That suits my thinking more than anything I've ever read. It sounds very true to me. I never have believed he failed. But they were afraid that he would die before they could get him there and angrily nail him to a tree. I don't know if you've ever had a thorn in you or not. Maybe some people are just allergic to them. I don't know. But I got one thorn deep in my leg one time, and I couldn't walk for a week. I couldn't walk. It poisoned your whole system. And he had a whole crown of thorns beaten into his head. His body was poisoned, and they were afraid that he would die. Or they could get him to the cross. Therefore they lightened his load and gave him some assistance. Getting him up to Calvary's hill and then nailed him to the tree. They nailed two of these thieves, one on each side of him. Then as my Lord, my Jesus, as he stood there hanging between earth and heaven, shedding his blood for my sins and your sins, that hot Judean son, that's when he spoke these words. Come and they called a prayer that he prayed on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Have you ever considered who he prayed for? Who was this prayer meant for? He was praying for somebody. He teaches us in his word to pray specific. A prayer that's just prayed in general, it's not too much good anyway. You've got to pray a specific prayer and pour out what you're praying for. He said, Father, forgive them. Who, Jesus? Forgive who? Who do you have in mind? It's been preached to a lot of people that it was never meant for. He said, Father, forgive them. Who, Jesus? These soldiers. Didn't you hear what they said? 
They said, if thou be the Christ. We don't know if you are or not, but if you are the Christ, go ahead and save yourself. See, he mentions why he prayed it. That's part of the prayer. He said, Father, forgive them. Why? For they know not. That's why I'm asking to forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive Pilate. That old Roman governor, if you know anything at all about his history, that old boy wasn't afraid of anything. They said Pilate had never been known to get in a tight spot. They said that he was a very courageous man. He had a lot of nerve, and he knew nothing of fright. But the scripture tells me that when Jesus Christ stood before him, he was afraid. Amen. He sat there on the bench trembling. He looked at that being, that Christ, that Savior of the world. He looked upon him, and he said, Who are you? Where did you come from? From whence is your origin? Is your home of this world or of another world? Who are you? He didn't even know who Jesus was, but he's afraid. He said, are you the king of the Jews? Who are you? What have they got you here for? Jesus was praying for Pilate. Father, forgive that old Roman governor. He doesn't really know what he's doing. Who else, Jesus? He prayed for that old centurion, those soldiers. They looked upon him. They were afraid. They were not really aware of what was taking place there. They had no idea what this all was concerning. And they looked upon him and confessed that he had saved others. That's more than a lot of people do that profess to be disciples of Christ. They never had followed him. They had never been his disciples. But they affirmed very positively, we know that you've saved others. And if you be the Christ, the chosen of God, help yourself and save yourself. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. That does betray his love. But the last part of that prayer if it's preached like it should be, it should terrorize this generation. The very fact that he added those last words, not the Father forgive them, that's so beautiful, it all is. But that last part should terrorize this whole generation that is sick and tired of hearing the message of Jesus. He said, Father, forgive them because they know not what they do. People that I want to see saved, most of these people that walked out of the building last night and rejected God, 
The prayer that I've had to pray for them today was this. I said, Father, forgive them even though they know what they're doing. They know. They're not ignorant. They don't have any questions to ask. Most of them know just about as much as I do, and they just don't want to be saved. Father, forgive them, even though they know what they're doing. No question they know. Would Jesus have prayed that prayer? I want you to know that troubled me. I've looked that over. Would he have prayed that prayer if that congregation had known as much as this congregation knows? Right. Would he? Would he have prayed that prayer? No. That prayer would not be recorded in God's Word. If that group of people had known what my group last night and tonight knows, you would have never read that prayer. Because Jesus Christ would have been lying, and he can't lie. You see, it puts us on the spot tonight. There's a lot of people that I'm anxious to see them saved, and I can't even pray that prayer for them. Prayer don't even fit. The prayer that Jesus gave us, such a beautiful, impressive prayer. It's not much good for this generation. They know what they're doing. Right. You see, when I kneel down to pray, I could call names tonight. You could do the same thing. When I kneel down to pray, a lot of the people I'm praying for have had the Holy Ghost. Backsliders. They have tasted of this heavenly gift. They know what it is, and they willfully threw it down out of their life and trample on the blood of Jesus Christ tonight. Our God, Father, if you could, Lord, forgive them, even though they know what they're doing. Some of my good friends tonight some that I'm anxious to see them saved. Something within me makes me believe I'm preaching to an audience like that tonight. Some of my good friends that I want to be saved, see them saved. They are people that have been healed by the power of God. They're not talking in secondary language. They're talking first-handed. They themselves have been healed. They know that without the intervening hand of God, they already would have perished and would be in hell now. But God reached down and healed them and holds them here tonight, yet they're sinners. Father, forgive them, even though they know what they're doing. I prayed earnestly. I said, Lord... Give me an answer. Would you have prayed that prayer had that audience known as much as my audience knows? Would you have prayed that prayer, Lord? How would you have prayed it? I looked for an answer. I searched for one. 
And I feel like God Almighty impressed me with the answer. You can find it yourself in 1 Corinthians, the second chapter and the eighth verse. The apostle Paul speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, not even really aware, no doubt, of what he was saying. He said, if these men had have known what they were doing, they would not have crucified the Lord. I don't know what that does to you, but that grips me for this generation. See, the prayer is not in question. God gave me the answer. The prayer is not in question. The men are the ones that are in question. Paul said if these men had have known, if the centurion had have known, if the soldiers had have known, if Pilate had have really known what this audience knows, they would not have gone through with that ordeal of crucifying him. This generation, they know. There were some that walked out of the building last night. As I approached them, they said, Preacher, I know. Oh, God. I wanted to see you get the Holy Ghost tonight. Do you know anything about it? Yes. I've been knowing about it for 25 years. One man said, I sought God in that altar about 25 years ago. What kind of prayer can you pray for that man? How do you go about approaching God for somebody like that? Huh? How do you go about going before the throne of grace? There's some people that I pray for that I honestly bless as I go before God. God's been so good to them that I'm absolutely ashamed to ask him to have mercy again. Somebody, a close friend of mine, a close friend of mine had a child that got murdered. Follow me. If he had a child that got murdered, and the murderer was a close friend of mine, and I knew that this individual innocently, unintentionally murdered that child, I'd have a very good case to present to the parent. I'd go to them and I'd tell them, this fella that you think murdered your child, he's a close friend of mine and I happen to know that he didn't really murder the child. He did it ignorantly, unintentionally, not a premeditated crime. It was an accident. I'd feel like that I had a good case. But how would you go about going before a parent and asking forgiveness for a man that willfully and intentionally and premeditatedly murdered that child? That's the kind of people I have to pray for for their salvation. God, I know you've healed them. I know you've blessed them. I know you've called them. And I know you've lightened the word up to them. And they're still rejecting you. In some way, God, please have mercy on them again. That's 
Father, forgive them. Give them even though they know what they're doing. Sinner friend in this audience tonight, what kind of prayer can this church pray for you? Amen. Huh? I approached a young man in Baton Rouge, one of the best friends I've got. His first name is Bill. I love Bill. I approached him. I said, Bill, why don't you live for God? He said, Preacher, I don't mean this ugly. I don't have an ugly spirit. He said, I just want to tell you the truth, and this is the only way I know to put it. He said, I imagine I know as much about that Bible as you do. He said, I was raised in a Pentecostal Sunday school. I imagine I know just as much about that Bible as you do. He said, I'd fight for this truth. I know that God brought me back from the war. If he hadn't have protected me over there, I would have perished. God kept his hand upon me while I was in Vietnam. I know that God protects me every day of my life. I live in constant danger, and God protects me. He said, I love this truth, and I fight for this truth. He said, I preach this truth on the job, and I brought people to church, but for me, he said, I'm just not ready to live for God. I turned to him, I said, Bill, you asked me just a few moments ago to pray for you. Now I said, before God, and he's here, I said, I want you to tell me what to pray. God hears my prayers. I've got confidence in that. I said, Bill, I talk to him every day and I know God hears me because he answers my prayers. But I said, what am I asking you is this, how do you want me to pray for you? I can't ask him to call you because he did tonight and you walked out the door. I said, Bill, do you want me to ask God to protect you and to have mercy on you while you live for the devil? And to just keep his hand upon you while you give your life to the devil. And you roam and rebel and just give your life to sin and hell. And then save you when you're an old dead man. Is that really, Bill, what you want me to pray? He said, preacher, I don't know what to tell you to pray, just pray. He turned around and walked off. Father, forgive them, even though they know what they're doing. Come on. The scripture in Hebrews 10 and 26 said, If we sin willfully, if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of this truth, there remaineth 
No more sacrifice for sins. That sin against knowledge is a sin that walks down the road hand in hand with the unpardonable sin. They tread the same black, dark highway. They walk hand in hand. They're kinsmen with each other. The unpardonable sin and the sin against knowledge. They are one and the same. Sins that are never repented of are unpardonable. Sins that are never repented of will never be forgiven. There's a lot of people tonight that's really got me on the spot. I don't know what kind of prayer to pray. The only answer that I can find in the Bible, Paul penning words under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he said, if, this is plain English, he said, if your audience, Brother Treadway, had known what the crucifiers knew, they would not have crucified Jesus. Your audience in plain English is crueler and harder and taking a more desperate stand against Christ than those men at Calvary did. They crucified him in ignorance. Your generation knows, but they're not doing anything about it. Father, forgive them. Even though they know what they're doing. Stand with me. Friend, if you know how.